0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert Judith Weigel.
1: If there's divorce, there is conflict. The extent to which we handle the conflict in divorce depends on our ability to think clearly. Be a little less emotional, but understand the tenets of conflict communication. We could not have a more perfect guest on our podcast today. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Deborah Dupree. She is called the Mindset Doc. Deborah Dr. Dupree is a dispute resolution specialist, a conflict leadership coach, and international trainer and keynote speaker. I've known of Deborah and gone to her seminars as part of the Southern California Mediation Association because she is well-known in that field. With all of Deborah's work in the corporate world, her company name is Relationships at Work, Deborah wrote a book, and I want to talk about this book in relation to divorce and conflict slash mediation, what we can do about it. The book is called Your Emotional Potential, How You Show Up Matters. Deborah, first of all, welcome to the program, and can you please explain that key phrase, how you show up matters?
0: Well, thank you so much, Jude, for the opportunity to be on this podcast. Um, You know, in addition to my corporate work, I've worked extensively um, with families throughout the years in divorce. And that's actually how I got into, uh, um, well, I started mediation before that, but uh, became a very focal point, partly because I was going through my own divorce and found it very, very challenging. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, when we talk about how you show up matters, you know, it's amazing the amount of communication that we do before we even utter a word. And so, you know, how we show up matters. Um, I, I define it in the sense of, you know, so much of our communication, in fact, 55% of our communication is visual. What we see, the behavior of others, the look in their face, the look in their eye, the grimace, the grin, 55%. 38% is our tone, volume, and inflection. And so, again, you know, um high tones, low tones, rough tones, demeaning tones, uh, uh, divisive tones. I mean, again, we uh, for example, I could go, oh, 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 you know, and that's a very yeah. simple word, but uh, it, the, each time I said it, it conveyed a little different meaning. And then, you know, 7%, it's not a large percentage, but 7% is related to the words. And so, that small percentage doesn't mean the words are unimportant. I like to say, are we talking or are we communicating? Because it's one thing to say words, but it's another thing to really c- convey and communicate. But when we use inflammatory words, when we use foul language, when we use um uh, demeaning, derogatory terms or labels uh, in our speech with other people, we basically have shot the whole wad of communication. You know, uh, because so how we show up matters. And our brains start reacting to someone's appearance, to how they sound, before we even begin to make sense of what's being said in our prefrontal cortex way up here. We're reacting all back here. And so that's where I you know focus a lot in helping people build their emotional intelligence, um, which really centers on four key things: uh, your own self-awareness, your self-management. Other awareness, what clues, what signs, what, what do you pick up from other people? And then your relationship management. Now uh, what I know about myself and what I know about you, now how do I manage this relationship? So I, I, I try to educate people and help them grow into where they can have effective communications, constructive communications, not destructive communications. So I said a lot in response to your question. <laughs> no, no, no. This was all good. And so many points
1: I want to pull out of what you just said. So let's just start with this. I know we can't get too technical. We we don't have enough time, and I don't want to lose the audience, but what goes on in our brains, in our bodies matters. And so knowing that we that the words we speak, the tone of voice we use comes from the stasis of our bodies at any point in time, is there an exercise or something you could give the audience to allow them to calm down quickly and gather their thoughts before
0: they even speak? Yes, I can. And um, I'd like to share with you, Judith, that you know um, during our early COVID times, I took the opportunity to do all my live techniques and put them into short videos. so. They're readily available for everyone. Um, there there are there are a couple of things I'd like to share before I actually you know, give out the technique, okay? And first of all, is that when we get triggered, you know um it's very easy to react, and that is in the emotional part of our brain. We have sort of three key areas, you know the the automatic brain which keeps our bodies functioning. We do have an emotional brain, uh, and then we have the the logical human brain. And so, when we get triggered you know we we immediately have a neuronal a brain chemistry you know reaction going on and and if we stay in the heat of the moment then that's where we are likely to say and do things that are hurtful harmful and damaging and so that's one of the first steps then in developing your emotional intelligence is realizing uh what what are, what are some of your triggers for example um And then also, what is your response? How quickly do you tend to be responsive? And instead, what we want to learn is to disengage from that heat of the moment. Take the time to do some deep breathing, pause, and actually re-engage in a calmer moment. And when we get triggered like this, depending upon the intensity or the severity of the trigger, It can actually take our bodies as much as twenty-four to seventy-two hours to physiologically settle down. And I see this all the time when I'm working with couples. Oh, we had this doozy of a fight, you know, about three days ago. And the funny thing is we can't even remember what the fight was about anymore. We just remember how awful the experience was, you know? And that's 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 how our brains are impacted then. So when I talk about learning to disengage from the heat of the moment, first recognizing I'm triggered. And if I go there now. It's just going to get hotter and hotter. It was going to escalate even more. And then what's going to happen? We're both going to be very unhappy about this. So it is, in a way, sort of taking the higher road and say, you know what, I'm triggered right now. Let's agree to disengage and come back when we're both calmer. And so that's that's sort of the envelope there. But one of the first things that people can do, again, is recognizing where they triggered. Oftentimes it's a... Rapid heartbeat, shallow breathing, that you know, pit in the stomach, or maybe even a brain freeze. Those are the physiological manifestations of when we're triggered. Pay attention to that. That's, that's information. That's, that's valuable. That's gold information. And literally what we want to do is, is to create a pause to take three or four deep breaths. Because not only does, does the deep breathing slow down your heart rate, expand your lungs, it it also allows enough time for the brain signals to get from the reactive part back up into the cognitive part where we can be calmer. Now that takes some practice, but it's easy to do.
1: It's so funny because, you know, I first heard about how important breathing is from Oprah. She Mm -hmm. used to do shows like that with people like Deepak Chopra and, you know, well-known people in, in this field. And then, I as I got into mediation, that is what people talk about. Breathing is so much a part of the remedy mm-hmm. of the excitement that we feel when we're fearful, when we're in flight syndrome, and when we're in conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I like to say, you know, we all breathe, but many times we're not breathing in a way that actually serves us well. And if if both, um, let's say, you and your partner, you know, you you're, you have a conversation when you're not hot and say, you know, let's agree to sort of have a signal, you know, a timeout or, you know, I'm triggered, you know, and you you honor that request to disengage in the heat of the moment. And then you both come back because now you both have a chance to calm down. Yeah. Know, what is it about the situation that gets me so hot? And um I was just working with a client yesterday who said, you know, they're, uh, they're, it, it's a tone of voice that the female in, in this dyad, you know, uses that just sends him off, you know, so he has a hard time managing his reaction. And so it's led to some angry outbursts and, um, and, you know, gotten him into trouble. And we certainly see that kind of situation a lot in divorce cases, too, of where, you know, where I mean, divorce is hard enough you know, we're already, you know, deciding to, you know, end this um, relationship that used to be loving and warm and compassionate and so forth. And now we, we're so loathing and disgust or hate or whatever those feelings might be. It's um it's really easy to be triggered. And so it is about, um, you know, self-care, uh, but then also doing a little self-exploration in terms of, you know, what, where do I feel my triggers? How can I use that as road signs? to when i need to take an exit you know um and uh and what can i do to you know soothe myself in the moment so that i don't become that crazy person that he or she keeps accusing me of being you know uh, because we we get crazy making when we get triggered uh
1: yes we do and <laughs> i am no different than anybody else when i get triggered So in a divorce mediation, Mm -hmm. people are coming to mediation because they really want to work things out between them, but if they haven't gone through the emotional divorce, so these are my words. Mm -hmm. I talk about this concept I created called the recipe for a heart-healthy divorce, four ingredients, the very first one that I think is most important, and and Dr. Dupree, I learned this from my own clients years Mm -hmm. ago go through the emotions of the divorce before you file for the divorce. Mm -hmm. Because if your emotions aren't settled, at least to a better extent than when you're just planning the divorce, you're not going to make sound legal decisions. You're not going to have clarity of mind and you're not going to be without blame. And I saw this in a mediation one day where One person had not gone through the emotions, still was grieving, high level anger and blame. And maybe it was the other person's fault. But still, let's just say the other person is all to blame. (laughs) You still have to calm down and be clear about what you're agreeing to. You can't just say, you know, I don't care let him or her have what they want. I can't take this anymore. Show me the paper. I'll sign. You know, Mm -hmm. that happens,
0: right? Absolutely. Recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. You know, there's another thing to say as far as, you know, um, well, you know, we talk about a no fault divorce, but uh, we we know about the blame and shame that go on. And, um, you know, it's, it's so true. We, um, and this is true for any mediation, but particularly in divorce, because it is, it is personal. It is emotional. You know, again, you, you fell in love and, you know, thought you had this wonderful relationship. And then whatever happened, happened and you no longer in the same space anymore. And and what happens too then is that oftentimes one person has already been thinking about divorce long before the other person is even aware that the marriage is in trouble. <laughs> you know, or somebody might say, well, I know we've been having challenges, but I never thought it was that bad to go All to right. divorce. And so now you've got a shock factor in there, not just a hurt factor, but you've got a shock factor. And um, again, trauma. and And so in that regard, it's important for the person initiating the divorce to also be mindful that the two of you are in different timelines and to push the other person faster through the process, you know, uh, seldom works because the emotional content is still so much there that, um, you know, even though they may want to go through mediation to to solve it, again, if we don't deal with those emotions, uh, there will be difficulty in making good Decisions and we, we've seen it when people will give away way too much, uh, because they don't want to stay in the conflict anymore.
1: That's right. And then they so regret when the divorce is final and and you have distance, you have objectivity, you have a clearer mind. And then, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I did this. Can I, what can I do about it? Well, fortunately in different states, they do have a period of time where <laughs> you can go back and revisit if you meet certain qualifications. Mm-hmm. But um best not to have to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm so happy that you said what you just said and that is yes, there's the grieving stage, but the person who initiates the divorce talk has already gone through enough of the grieving stages to be able to say I think we need to have a talk, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about divorce. And so you're 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 so perfect when you also mentioned, now the other person needs to catch up emotionally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the first, the initiator needs to understand they need their time and space too. So you have to just wait. Mm-hmm. Let them and then then go through the process. You know, there was I I I did when I did some research to start presenting this workshop, The Recipe for a Heart Healthy Divorce, I I did some research and I came upon a quote from a judge, Judge Terry Crown. He's an appeals judge in Illinois. I love this quote. He said, without a doubt, whenever I get people in the courtroom arguing at trial, it's always, they always say it's about the velvet Elvis painting. (laughs) It's never about the velvet Elvis painting. Everybody has a velvet Elvis painting at their homes. It's always about the hurt. Mm -hmm. But you address the hurt that underlies how we behave
0: in conflict, yeah you know that's a uh, that's a really important point to to take a look at. Um, you know again we we're human beings, and we naturally seek relationships. We want to be accepted. we want you know there, some of us have a stronger need to be included than others and and yet we still all thrive on human relationships. now, the degree to which we need um those human relationships will vary because we, we have different communication styles and our needs are different. Um, that's where I see a lot of uh, couples not having a good understanding of basic be- human behavior beyond, you know, this other person I fell in love with, you know? So we, we have a, a craving, we have a desire to be loved and to love back, to be cared for, um, you know, to be accepted for who we are. And so when we start to experience, uh, an erosion of the relationship, then it feels very personal. You know, it, it feels like my, my entire sense, sense of self is being rejected by this other person. Uh, I'm being cast off or uh, maybe he or she has found somebody else. And now, you know, I'm being replaced, you know. Um, and so it's a whole lot of loss. And that's where we go back to the grieving um, process again. You know, we have lost, we're losing something that has been a big part of our life. And even when it's not necessarily the happiest, it's still something, you know, that connectedness. And so struggling with just being alone, uh, you know, um, after the two parties have separated physically, um, that's a big adjustment right there. And, you know, then self doubt. Will I ever be lovable, lovable again? Or will I ever love again? You know, so all kinds of, uh, you know, questions surface for people. And again, it's that hurt, you know, losing something that we've had that is so very, very, there um, has been so very significant in our lives. And it just hurts. And Deb,
1: Dr. Dupree, so in a divorce mediation, trust mm. trust is a result, or distrust is a result of the marriage changing, the relationship changing. In mediation, we do have to experience a level of trust, don't we? A, in the process of mediation. B, in the mediator guiding the process properly. Mm-hmm. But C, in the conversation that we're even going to have, the negotiation that we're even going to have. How does the spouse who's more insecure than the other spouse, ergo more Emotional than the other spouse, how do they bring themselves forward to a point where they can engage well in mediation?
0: Well, you know, I've, I've given that kind of issue a lot of thought over the years. And what I have learned, and I'm not sure what your model is, but I really find it incredibly invaluable to engage people in pre-mediation. And that serves several purposes. One, it helps, um, it creates a, a confidential environment for myself as a mediator and and each of the parties to get to know each other a little bit better, to um, you know establish some level of trust that they have with me as the mediator so that they feel safe to go where we need to go and discussing, you know, difficult, challenging topics. But also you know, by doing pre-mediation before bringing the parties together, you better understand some of the dynamics that have gone on between the couple. Like has there been a, you know, a, 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 higher, heavier hand, for example, by one of their spouses over the other, has there been a pattern of, of succumbing behavior, you know, passive behavior of giving in to the other party, and then also educating them about the mediation process. And, and, I like to say, you know, establish some rules of engagement uh, so that people have an understanding about what's appropriate, what's not, and how you're going to redirect them when you see things going south on us. For example, um, that uh, won't serve them or the mediation process well. So I I use those pre-mediation sessions as an opportunity to do all that one on one, and so I can address their concerns, uh, but again help create that, that safe, uh, what I call psychologically safe environment with this other person that they no longer love and probably even hate at some point. Uh, and um, uh, so that they feel, can feel comfortable to go where we need to go. And when we come into joint session, then I, I go over the basics too. Now, both of you have have heard this already from me, but I want to make sure that you're hearing it again from me together. And um, And so again, I do a lot to create that environment so we can get to the place that we need to go. Um, because again, it's it's um it's emotional, it's 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 a loss. It's um you know uh, there can be a, a a lack of trust that the other person has. And one of the things I, I like to do in pre-mediation too, um, you know, that somebody's always blaming somebody else. They said, well, you know what, it takes two to tango, you know, and let's just think about what what kinds of things have you done that maybe have helped contribute to the situation, um, and, and vice versa, just so that they're developing some self-awareness around that. And that's something that's why I talk about your emotional potential in my book is that you know we with some simple strategies, um if we put them into place, we can we can actually practice you know showing up more positively, more uh, persuasively, more effectively, rather than you know the past dynamics that you know may have led to lots of arguing or things like that, blame and shame again, because. It, it, if they if they don't learn to step out of that dance that they've had, then they both go sliding down that slippery slope together. And once you're down in the muck, it's real hard to get out. It ta- it takes time to recover from that. And now we've just two steps forward, one step back. Okay, so love,
1: love two things you said. The pre-mediation process. Now, I talked to, we all talk to other mediators to mm-hmm. see what their process is so we can pick up tips and make ourselves better. So one process that I've learned from a lot of mediators is they will spend a half an hour to an hour separately mm-hmm. with each spouse, just letting them talk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They learn about them that way. But what I'm getting mm-hmm. from you is you actually bring them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. the principle so not to make decisions, but what do they do? And what do you all do again in the pre-mediation session? Well,
0: there are several steps I actually do. Um, I, I will usually start off with a 30 or 45 minute session with each person uh, to, you know, make introductions, to acquaint them with the process. And then, um, and, and answer any questions for them. And what are some, what are, where are they? Have they made any, you know, agreements so far that we, you know, we're, we need to be aware of, but we don't need to put into the negotiation mix. And so that's sort of the first thing. But then what I also do is, um, I, um, you know, particularly with my background, but I, I do use three assessments um, that I usually have everybody go through. And it's called three, three steps to mindset shift. And so one does address emotional intelligence. Um, one does address four communication styles, and the other one addresses the five communication uh, conflict styles. And so, to me, for me, that helps deepen their understanding of self, but also where the other person is coming from. And, uh, and by doing that, I have learned that not only is it educational very valuable to people in making choices about how they show up differently, um, they also can. Uh, it gives them an opportunity to um, depersonalize some of the issues they have with the other person. You know, they may, someone might say, well, yeah, Jamie is always like that. That's just who he is. You know, so now we've just, you know, enveloped this person and made the whole person bad. And it's hard to come out of that, you know, when you're being attacked like that. But instead, if we look at the four communication styles, particularly, we can see that there are different focal points, there's even different ways of speaking, timing. Uh, responses to conflict um, where they focus uh, you know they you, we we oftentimes hear the um, phrase you know um, opposites attract right and so what I have found is that there are two particular communication styles that are very opposite but they are very attracted to each other and unless people learn to understand those those differences and similarities it's often those very differences that end, ends up breaking up the marriage because they they are so opposite and so, um, so by doing these assessments, I can then say, you know what? Well, you know, seventy five percent of the population also share these characteristics, you know, or you know, um, this is very typical of somebody who has this primary style. And so, oh, so it's not just him or it's not just her, right? And so, it's a way of um, depersonalizing it and helping them look at the other person more objectively, so that, that they can. Yeah, so I'm thank sorry you. to
1: interrupt. I love what you just <laughs> said. It's valuable. I I can see that it is. Um, Are -hmm. you able to say what the four communication
0: styles are? Yes, I'm certainly happy to. Um, I actually have a fun little thing called the spice game. Uh, So I use spices. Because after all, what makes food so good? It's the spices, right? And so what makes relationships so good? It's the combination of spices. And so... um, Uh, One, uh, the first one is a a very directive, a take charge kind of um, communication style, the one who steps up to what's the problem, what's the emergency, I'll take care of that. Uh, Very focused on getting things done quickly. And and so that's more of the director or the commander. Uh, The next one is um, very, well, similar but different uh, is the analyzer. And so both of those two styles are very task focused. You know, getting things done is what their concern is about. They're not so concerned about how you feeling today. You know, so those two are our thinkers. Um, but the analyzer is different from the director because the, um, as the word suggests, they're really good at, at analyzing details. Um, they don't like conflict. They prefer to work alone. Um, and not that they don't want relationships, but they, they, a much smaller circle. And again, very, um, analytical, uh, almost, you know, the point you've heard that, Uh, the phrase um, paralysis by analysis. Yeah, that sort of fits in there, okay? Then um, the other two styles are similar in that they focus on the relationships. How are people doing? But then they're different again because one is very expressive and that's what it's called, uh, influential, you know, one who thrives around being uh, around people and having lots of contacts and always checking with how you're doing and so forth very active in the community and so forth. Um, And then the other one though is um, very conflict avoidant uh, like the analyzer, um, but like small groups of people. They're the kind of person who would tend to have a few closer friends, like to work in small groups, really dislike large gatherings. Also are not real good about, you know, speaking or saying what's on their mind in the moment. They need time to process both the, um, the um, idea person and the analyzer need time to process things they're not good when they get pushed in the moment whereas the other two yeah. are very much more action oriented and uh, get into it right away you know and so the where I tend to see the the conflict in relationships um and you probably have heard these stories too where we were up till three o'clock in the morning arguing you know and I just wanted to go to bed and she, and she wouldn't stop or he wouldn't stop you know That's where we have the combination of the expressive person and the analyzer is where we tend to see the most conflict. And this is true in the workplace as well as in um, marital relations and so forth. The expressive person and the analyzer
1: would typically be in communication conflict? Yes. I can understand that. Because the expressive person wants to talk now, wants to deal with this now. Mm -hmm. And the analyzer can't.
0: Mm-mm, mm-mm.
1: Just against their nature. Yeah.
0: And that goes back to, remember, I talked about when we get triggered, we, you know, we go up here, but that's why we want to learn to disengage from the heat of the moment and come yeah. back in a calmer moment. And yeah. I oftentimes say, especially when people are starting off, you know, trying to practice this, give it 24 hours, you know, because if you think about when you've had a, a difficult, you know, fight or argument with somebody, you know, you're hot and bothered, you know, the, those first 24 hours where, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. But then the next day, you start thinking about things differently. You're not quite so hot and bothered. You, you're starting to think about it a little bit more, and even up to 48 hours. Um, and as I mentioned, 24 to 72 hours. And so we usually want to get it wrapped up, though, in about three days because you know the um, idea person will try to drag it out. They, they never want to come back to the conflict. And so a lot of unresolved conflicts happen with that particular communication style. And so that's not good either, because what I've learned over the years is that kind of person is the one who tends to internalize, you know, the conflict. And they oftentimes, quite honestly, may be overweight, um, uh, you know, may have other health issues, gastrointestinal, heart issues, high blood pressure. From holding it in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So getting everybody to express, I need to slow down my my directors and my expressives. It expresses, and I need to speed up my my analyzers and my idea persons, and so that we can get into a circle of a dance of where we, we can have communication now. You know, I'm thinking all of this is great, but
1: until you stop hating the other person, <laughs> stop blaming the other person, yeah. so that you can function and get this divorce done properly. Mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a mess, I think. So this is, so for everybody, this is a process, right? It's not linear. It's not, we just continue to move forward. We may take a couple steps forward and need to stop, or we may need to take a step back, reassess. I love, I love your focus on gaining self-awareness. Because it's so very important. It really is, you know, not to, not to put self blame if it doesn't have to happen, but just an overall awareness of the history of the relationship. But something else that you mentioned in some of your key points for this book, and that is, the way we attached in our families, the what we learned from our parents' relationship, from our relationship with our parents, does that not influence who we are and how we live and communicate with people?
0: Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, um uh, we are so influenced in our growing up years by the dynamics of our own families and particularly our parents. And so, you know, if our Depending upon the type of relationship our parents have, we may learn that that's how relationships function, and and that's what we carry forward into our own adult um, lives, and, um, and and so it's really important that we take a look at, you know, again, not to find fault, but what worked and what didn't work, you know, and and using our more conscious, cognitive brains to then say, I can now make choices. Just because this is how I was brought up doesn't mean this is how I have to live my life. I can make active choices to do things differently that are more productive, healthier, and more satisfying for myself and my, other, my partner. You know, I like to say out of moments of pain comes the momentum for gain. You know, using those pain points and say, okay, I, I, got, I got to do something different. I, I, you know, and what do I want to do and how do I want to improve?
1: Yes, and this conflict can offer an excellent opportunity for change in a very, very positive way. Lastly, another point um, about the book and why it came into existence is you talk about the psychology of conflict, and you did refer to that earlier in this interview, leads to the art of compassion, I mean, compassion in a divorce mediation may be a far-off <laughs> concept, but talk to me about compassion out of conflict or in conflict.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I think many people have heard and would agree how important empathy is. You know, we're not talking sympathy. Um, we're talking about empathy, and I, the way I like to define it is you know the ability to acknowledge somebody else's pain points or difficulties, even though you may not understand it. You know, even though you may not have experienced it. Sympathy is more of, oh yeah, I've lost a brother or I've been through a divorce. I, I, I've had that similar kind of experience. You can identify with them, but with empathy, it's really just about acknowledging what somebody is going through or how they're how they're impacted by something. Um, even though you may not understand that. And I teach that a lot in my couple's work as well as in my supervisor's manager's work, um because, well, I, I don't get that. Why are they so upset? You know? Um, but then one of the things that um as as the neuroscience has continued to evolve, and I actually got you know got this um, learning from the works of the um Dalai Lama. Uh, he's really big on compassion, and so he calls it warm-heartedness. Okay, And that made all the difference for me when I first read that about 10 years ago. It's like, I mean, after all, who wants to be known or show up as cold-hearted? Not, you know, yeah. we, we don't. So yeah, it goes, goes back to how we show up. Instead, coming from a place of warm-heartedness means not only in demonstrating empathy, but actually doing something to help alleviate their pain. That's yeah. where the, the art of compassion comes into play. Not just, you know, Judith, I can see you're really upset. Best empathy. Compassion would be, how can I best support you right now? What do you need right now that I can help do uh, in support of you? And so now you're building a linkage. You know, you're, you, you got my back. Oh, my gosh. You know, I may not like you, but, you know, you got my back. And so by teaching people a little bit more about the art of compassion, we can get to some of those difficult sticking points in a in divorce mediation. Too often it's about fighting for what I want and I don't care what you want and I'm going to keep it from you just because you want it. Exactly. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong
1: or right, I think that compassion can also come from understanding that your spouse's behavior can be in large measure a result of all they know Mm -hmm. from their familial relationships. And I I, di- I do something now that a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist um, h- explained to me some years ago. and And she was the one that said, oh, no, we don't think we're going to repeat the behavior of our parents. But mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in us that mm-hmm. we do become our parents until somebody says, oh, yeah, your mom or dad did that. And that's a good thing. Or Oh, your mom or dad did that, and that's not such a good thing, right? But when I say on the phone, when I get the initial phone calls in the office, I, you know, we're getting divorced, and I ask the relevant questions: Are mm-hmm. there kids? Do you own real estate? So I can just wrap my head around what I'm dealing with in the mediation. Uh, When it gets to a description of how their spouse communicates and behaves, my very next question is, did you get to know his or her family, parents especially, and how they behaved in the house? And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. I don't have to say another thing. I don't have to be a therapist, which I'm not all they have to do is see. wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. Now, compassion. Now, yeah. can you look at this person a little differently, mm-hmm. knowing that they are behaving in, in, in the way that they learn to behave?
0: Do you find that as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, you earlier asked me about, you know, what, what's something someone can do when they're, you know, triggered in the heat of the moment. And I mentioned deep breathing. Um, I do have a, a an expanded version of that called the four by six. And so it's actually practicing deep breathing six times a day. Um, for four deep breaths. And it's like a little mini uh, internal massage of your heart and your, your gastrointestinal system, your brain, your lungs, and so forth. So, so that's something, but uh, more specific to your point right now is, uh, I also engage people in what I call the 360 degree perspective. And, you know, and this is a, again, a play on words, you know, we, if, if we're, we're, we're looking at the demise of this marriage, that's, that's, that's what we're looking at, the demise of this marriage. But do you and I see the same things in the demise of that marriage? No. Because of who we are uniquely in our experiences, our familial backgrounds and things like that, we can look at it, you know, we can look at the same thing, but we see very different things. We interpret
1: it differently.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so I I have a video on that on my YouTube channel as well that takes people through that. And so I, i I, you know, again, I do that in my family situations. Um, even when I'm working with the kids, uh, as well as in workplace situations and people go, I never, I never, I never thought about that. You know, here we had this, we had this impression that we were looking at the same thing and we see the same things. Like, no. Uh, and that goes back to the communication style, the conflict management styles and, you know, the whole emotional intelligence piece of it.
1: You know this is an excellent place since we are now at the end of our time and this went like 5 minutes for me. <laughs> You've mentioned the YouTube videos. So what's your channel? And I never I have not yet mentioned that you actually
0: have a podcast. So oh. could you please mention that as well? I meant to do that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Yes, like you, I host my own podcast called Decoding the Conflict Mindset. And so, um, because there's a lot to understand. And so I do have thought leaders from various walks of life, particularly around leadership, um, but also um, persons like yourself, because you were also a guest on my podcast about families and divorce. And um, and so uh, so yeah, so that comes out twice a month and um uh, I encourage you to subscribe and listen to it, Decoding Conflict Mindset. So my YouTube channel is uh, DRD Dupree. And so um, they can find me there.
1: Excellent. I so appreciate you coming here. First of all, you're a legend. You're a little rock star, <laughs> a big you. rock star in the mediation field. So I feel very grateful that I got to meet you and that you're on the show. And i so thankful that I can share you with other people. So thank you so much. So in the show notes will be all of your contact information and this book is wonderful. So I encourage people to get your emotional potential, how you show up matters. I think this is great. It doesn't matter whether it's for divorce or not. It's a great book to read.
0: Yeah, if I can add Judith, I'm um, just so people out there know is that um, I uh, when they purchase on uh, Amazon, the uh, proceeds actually are donated to Kids Managing Conflict. Oh, I know that. Yeah, so um, so because we're taking you know through Southern California Mediation Association, we're taking you know conflict management skills into schools and um, experiencing huge success, and so that's uh, one of my my projects. I support and sponsor
1: I did not know you were part of that program so I know that you're on the board of Southern California Mediation Association and I know of kids managing conflict that's great that's wonderful and kids are so interested
0: in the whole issue of conflict because they have it in their lives yes Yes. And so, um, uh, you know, imagine if we all knew how to manage conflict better earlier. Yep. And wouldn't, wouldn't our world be very, very different? I would be different. Yes. Yeah. The world. Yeah. And I, I would live my life. I
1: would have lived a little bit differently. And when I get into those trigger situations, I would immediately know how to calm down. Because yes. I mean, it happens to everybody.
0: I don't care if we're mediators or not. We can get triggered, too. Absolutely. I mean, conflict Conflict is inevitable. It's not that we should eliminate conflict. Um, conflict in, in and of itself is not bad. It's how we manage or mismanage it is what are the devastating effects of it. So well said. It's
1: not that conflict is in our lives. That doesn't necessarily have to be devastating. But how we manage it creates the result. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Dupree. It was an absolute pleasure having you.
0: Thank you so much, Judith. I just really, you know, as you can see, I get excited and passionate about uh, helping people navigate through conflict. You certainly do, as do
1: I. So thank all of you for listening. If you would like to propose a topic, you can do so through my website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. It's on the episode page, I believe, Speaker Pipe. You can email me through that, or you can direct email me, judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day.
0: That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else.